This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, uh, we've now got a bit of a break in games, and unfortunately we went into that break in not the fashion that we wanted to. A 1-1 draw at Cardiff. Corbran came out uh, visibly disappointed. Uh, Lewis Cox of the Express and Star said after the game in in the post-match press conference, um, I have to say personally, I, I, it felt like a bit of a punch in the gut that, that result because after grinding out the two wins against Huddersfield and Wigan, it, it really, really felt like if we could go into the break that we have coming up with Sheffield United being called off due to the FA Cup and then obviously an international week after that, that nine points from nine would just be an unbelievable platform. As it is, it is seven points from nine, Pete. And whilst I appreciate some of the, the the disappointment around last night's result, and I think the sort of um, disappointment or dissatisfaction has been building across the two games that we've won, I do think some of the reaction that I've seen, and I realise Twitter is a place for overreaction. Um, there, there's not a lot of room for grey areas on Twitter. People like things black or white, Um and they, they, it tends to be the home of extreme opinions. But some of the things I've seen said about last night, I've seen people saying our season's over. If you looked at Twitter after the whole game, our season was over then. And then we picked up six points from two games and then it's back on. And now we've drawn with Cardiff and our season's over again. And we might go and beat Millwall and then it's back on. And it's like... I think you you just said to me a wonderful phrase off air that not every result has to be season defining. And I feel like at the moment, for some of our fans, for some of the more reactionary element, every point we drop is the end of the world. And I really don't know how we quite got here, to be honest with you. I'm dis- uh, I, I put it on record. I'm disappointed with the result against Cardiff. I'm disappointed with the performance against Cardiff. I was happy with the result against Huddersfield, 
disappointed with the performance against Huddersfield. I actually have no issues with either the performance or the result against Wigan. That's where I stand across the last three games. But just taking a step back from that and looking at it in perspective, it is seven points out of nine. Now, we can't get nine points out of nine every every time. I realise the away form is something of a concern that we've uh, we've not we've not won in a while now away from home. There is going to be a, a point where it becomes a mental issue for the players where it gets in their head that they're not winning away from home. If indeed it's not already in their head, because I think that might have played a part in the negativity of the display that we saw last night. But I do think people just need to calm down a little bit because, or some people do anyway, because the reality is we're still very much in this. We're eighth in the championship. We, uh, the two teams standing as blockers in our way between us and the playoffs are Norwich and Millwall. We have to play both of those teams at the Hawthorns in the coming weeks. So we have the opportunity to take points off both of those teams. I still think this this running is is very much in our own hands. I know people like to try and do the maths and say, "Oh, do we you know, do we need to win 7 out of 9? Do we need this amount of points? Do we need that amount of points?" I think part of this will come down to who we get the points against as much as anything. When you've got as I say Norwich and Millwall coming to the Hawthorns, Sunderland coming to the Hawthorns as well. I I think there's big big games against the teams around us. And to a certain degree, you know, I, I loathe to use the, the the phrase six pointers, but really when you play Millwall at the Hawthorns, it quite literally is a six pointer because you are taking three points off them that they can't win. And we you're adding three points to our tally. So I, I, I really don't buy into the negativity and we'll come to the negativity around the overall performance and the overall performances over the last few games and try to sort of look into the reasons behind why we've probably not been as positive and front foot as we have been in other core brand games. But just around the reaction, Pete, I, I just feel some of it is enormously over the top at the moment. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, the, the reality, reality of it is that we're now uh, five points off the playoffs and the only team that, I mean, we're in eighth place, which so we've climbed up above a few teams compared to where we were a few weeks ago. So I'm not much of a believer of, well, especially at this stage of the season of saying, you know, the average number of points you need to get playoffs each season is this. So this is what we need to get. Uh, there's, think, but there's also everything to suggest in the data that it could well be lower this uh, this year. The, the fact that there is such a spread of points, taking Burnley out of it, who are probably going to get a records point, points total. The spread of points through the rest of the division is freakish. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why at this stage of the season, I don't, I'm not much of a believer in saying you need to get this number of points to get playoffs because that's the average that you need each year or whatever. I think at the start of the season and early on in the season, it's probably useful to set goals to say that that's what you need come the end of the season. But being so late in the season with only nine games left and everyone playing the same number of games, I think you just got to take the table as it is and, and say we need to catch five points, well, six points on Millwall. And if we do that and get more points in Norwich before the end of the season, then we'll finish in the playoffs. Um well, but even even if you did even if you did say that, 
Pete. The average points total for sixth place is 73.8, I believe, which is 74 points, call, call it that, all but the shouting. Um, now, I think I'm right in saying we uh, we're on um we're we're on fifty we're on fifty five at the moment. So that's fourteen points. And yet I see people saying things like we need to win um we we need we need to win seven out of nine. Well, why the average points the points total anyway is seventy four. So uh, you know re- really that's um you know that that's that's what um six wins and a draw by my, by my maths. Um, I don't. I, I see people saying putting ridiculous targets on on what we need. I personally think it will be lower than uh, than than seventy four. If I'm if I'm if I'm truthful, um, the the lowest points total ever for a, for a playoff spot in the championship is uh, sixty eight, which was um, Leicester in twenty twelve twenty thirteen. I don't think we'll get anywhere near quite that low. But I I think if we I think if we get above seventy points. Which is, I mean, seventy points is five more wins out of the last nine games. I think we will be there or thereabouts. There's no guarantees in this division, but I think seventy plus points, and you are probably in in the conversation going into the final day. I think certainly if we're on seventy points going into the final day, I I'm not going to say this categorically, but I think I don't think we'll mathematically be out of it. Do you? No, and I think that's what. It's important to just kind of stay stay at least close to the, the playoffs for the next nine games and then see if we can get ourselves into the in the last couple of games of the season. Um I'd be surprised if we if we secure our place in the playoffs with like two or three games to go. I think it, if we are going to get there, then it's going to go to the last couple of games. I'm not so. sure anyone will uh, outside of probably Middlesbrough, though, Pete. I, I, I think it, I think we'll have probably one of the most crazy last day scrambles we've ever seen in this division. Exactly, and that's why it's so important just to stay within touching distance, and then, and then, yeah, who knows? Come the last couple of games, um, so yeah, I, I definitely don't think the result against Cardiff was season-defining, because um, as I said, we're, we're still five or six points off the playoffs. I think it's important to kind of reflect on where we were towards the start of the season as well, because when Corbyn came in, I don't think anyone was even hoping of making the playoffs come the end of the season. So we've come a, a very long way, and. And done really well just to get where we are. I well, I did. It, it, I did the maths before Cardiff, Pete. He's averaged one point nine one. He uh, he'd averaged one point nine one points per game over his wow. reign. That's stunning. Uh, obviously, uh, Cardiff drops that down slightly, but probably only down to about one point nine. I mean, to put that in perspective, right? Over the course of a season, over a full game season, that gets you that gets you automatic promotion pretty much every uh, every season that the championship has existed. Well, that would be, yeah, the equivalent of winning half your games and drawing the other half. So, yeah, that's really impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it shows how far we've come. Um, so I think, you, in a way, you've got to be happy with that. I'm not saying we sh- should just be happy getting into the top half because now we are we are pushing for playoffs. So you kind of do have to reassess and, and change your, your hopes for the season a bit. But we have come a long way. Um, so I wouldn't be really, yeah, I wouldn't be calling for, for Carlos's job if if we didn't make the playoffs at the end of the season because I think we've done fantastically to to even get this close. If anybody stage. does that, Pete, I I just give up on our fan base. Even if even if I see one Albion fan do that, I I I just don't know. I honestly don't know where we go from here if anybody does that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I have seen anyone even suggest that, but yeah, it's just kind of the rea- 
reality of the situation is that we've we've done really well, and um, you can't, you're never going to have a completely smooth and um, positive season. I mean, even if you look at the Premier League, Arsenal have been flying for the whole season, but they they, they do have that couple of games that they dropped off, and people started to question whether they were going to be whether they were going to keep on and win the title. Um, and now they seem to have picked up again. So I think we last couple of games we do seem to have kind of run into a, a bit of a poor patch compared to previous um, games under Corbrand. But it may it may be the case that this international break has come at quite a bit of time just to give the players a bit more rest and kind of reset and, and go again after the after the break. Well, at the risk of sounding like an apologist for Carlos Corbran as well, Pete. And look, as I always say on this podcast, we don't we don't have agendas. I I, I am a fan of what he's doing at the, at the Albion, but if I if I ever sit here and think that Carlos Corbran is a part of the problem, I will absolutely say it. I don't think he gets everything right. He wouldn't be West Bromwich Albion manager if he did, because you know the, the, there's a lot of bigger clubs and clubs with a lot more financial clout than us that would that would love a manager that's perfect. So if he was per- perfection, he would certainly would not be West Bromwich Albion manager. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that from time to time as well. But I mean, our iffy run, and if you even want to call it that, because our home form has remained consistent, we'll we'll come on to talk about the nature of the displays a little bit in a, in a, in a minute. Um, at the risk of kind of raking over what we talked about on the last pod, because I really don't think there was that much wrong with the Wigan display. I appreciate people's points of view on the on the Huddersfield game. It wasn't good, and we 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 won ugly. We won ugly. That's what we did, but. I, I just, I just think that the, it, it is worth saying that this run of form has coincided with quite a few injuries. You know, Brandon Thomas Asante, Corbin said after the game that he didn't bring him off, bring him on when DK came off because he'd had advice from the medical staff that, that Brandon only had so many minutes in his legs. He was clearly half fit if best, at best, um, to play yesterday. And then on top of that, you know, you've got Grady uh, go, uh, getting injured for the whole season. We've lost Phillips for the for the whole season. We we just can't seem to get Bartley back. And I know people say, oh, well, he wouldn't play anyway. O'Shea and um, uh, o- uh, O'Shea and Peters have been have been brilliant. Yeah, but he gives you an option. I mean, like late on in that game against against Cardiff, <laughs> you could just put you could have put Bartley in at centre half, and suddenly he's a threat. From set pieces, you lose Chalibur. I saw a lot of criticism of Livermore being on the bench. What else is he supposed to do? You know, he's running out of central midfielders. He's just, he's just largely running out of players. And what emphasizes that to me is when I see a great deal of stuff on social media saying, oh, you know, he brought DK off and he didn't, he didn't bring another forward on. He went with Swift and Wallace up front. He brought Reach on. Why? Why not? Why not put? Why not put Farr? Why not put Malcolm? Why not put uh, Cleary onto the bench? If we're pinning our hopes on getting into the playoffs on three players who, between them, have less than ten league starts professionally, uh, so just clarification: obviously, Farr has more than that. But in the national league, in the EFL, there, there is less than ten EFL appearances not even starts appearances between those three players if we're pinning our hopes on one of those players leading the line for us for any significant period of a game I think it underlines how thin 
on the on the ground we are at present. And as I say, I, I run the risk of being accused of being an apologist for Carlos Corbran after a disappointing display here. But I do think context is important, and he has he has been robbed of a of a number of players. It's just the reality. Yeah, there's we do seem to have quite a stretch squad at the minute. I mean, the fact that we'd only got one fit and recognised senior striker as of, I mean, for the last couple of games, obviously, Brown and Thomas Sante coming back now is going to be really important. Um, but as Corbran said, he couldn't have, he couldn't rush him in. And if he only had a certain number of minutes in his legs, then. And we're saying, Pete, one, one fit and recognised striker who has spent the vast majority of the season now injured. So he's actually, he's, he's partway through a rehabilitation programme in terms of his fitness himself. Yeah, and it's been a very busy period as well. So it's almost the worst, well, I suppose the whole championship season's busy. But for DK, I think we said it last week, but for DK to have played as much as he has in the last couple of games is is impressive and has massively helped us because, I mean, if he hadn't been able to, then I'm I'm not sure who would would have been put up front because obviously we have Malcolm and Fahl on the bench for a couple of games. Um, but... Corbran didn't seem to want want to use him too much, um, which I mean, he's the one that sees him in training every day. So I think he's obviously got the best his best place to to it's judge a, whether they're ready. It's a big ask of uh, of kids as well, isn't it, Pete? And I know I, I've I, I had somebody because I, I made this point on Twitter, and somebody came back to me and went, "Well, yeah, but he he, he chucked twenty one year old Josh Griffiths in. Yeah, but Josh Griffiths has got ninety nine EFL games behind him." It's apples and oranges. You can't you can't compare the two. I can understand why Corbran doesn't want to put the burden of leading the line for West Bromwich Albion, a playoff chasing team, on guys who have very little experience. Yeah, it's very different with, with Griffiths because as you say, he's in terms of his experience in football, he's he's a lot more experienced than most twenty, twenty one year olds, however old he is, I'm not sure. But yeah, much more experience. He's had loan spells for a couple of seasons where he's played regularly and has impressed. So it's very different to to bringing in a striker that hasn't really been out on loan, or the only time that he's really spent spent out on loan has been in the national league. Um, it's obviously a massive step up to the championship, and and is a yeah, it's a big burden to ask them to leave the line for a club that's trying to push for playoffs. So yeah, I think it's I can understand why you wouldn't want to use them much. Um, I mean, the only at the minute, I think Caleb Taylor and Ashworth are the obviously the most promising youth players that we've got that aren't first team regulars. I mean, I'm hearing that Fellows has been absolutely ripping it up. I think he's at Fleetwood, isn't he? Is he Fleet? No, Crawley, 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 Crawley. But yeah, I mean, I know it's down in League Two, but they love him there, from what I hear. Yeah, so I, that's promising as well. But these players are getting time out on loan in in the football league and getting experience and develop developing as well. It's Everyone always says it's very different to just playing um, under twenty-one football, and it's—I mean—that's going to help them in future seasons. And if they—if they're ready to break into the—if anyone's ready to break into the Albion first team come the start of next season, then yeah, I think I put my money on, on it being one of them that's gone out and, and got the experience in the football league first. Absolutely. I mean, just ju- just looking at the at the game o- overall, Pete. What did? Because uh, let's let's come to the big talking point. The big talking point, obviously, of the game was the moment at, at which DK came off, Reach came on, Swift and Wallace went into into a, into a sort of two striker formation with the Reach going into midfield. 
that's obviously got an awful lot of uh, awful lot of criticism. Now, Carlos has explained his reasons for that in in the press. He said that he was advised that Brandon only had so many minutes in his legs, and he was looking at DK early on in the second half, and he was seeing a player that was extremely fatigued, and he felt he needed to come up with a solution to that, which didn't involve bringing Brandon on. I suppose my two questions to you are. Do you accept his explanation, um, or or do you think there's something else that he could have done in in that scenario? Would you have risked Brandon perhaps for an extra ten minutes? And the other thing is, do you think it impacted the game that heavily? I, I've seen a lot of people saying it's basically the reason we drew the game. I. To give my personal opinion, not to put it all on you, Pete, because it's uh, obviously uh, we, we 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 offer our own opinions here. I I do think it changed the game. Uh, I think that it it took away a, a target for us up front. It, it it meant we didn't really have an out outlet, but also for me, I I felt it sent a message to Cardiff of come and have a go, uh, because because we once once DK went off. It's got to relax their defenders. It's got to relax their defenders. I mean, DK's in star uh, in sparkling scoring form at the moment. Four in five. He'd already scored. Uh, he'd already scored one in that game, which was a quite brilliant finish, which we'll come to talk to and talk about in a little bit. And I have to say, if I was there defence, I'd be absolutely breathing a sigh of relief seeing DK come come off and seeing the the forwards be replaced with Swift and Wallace. And that's nothing against Swift and Wallace. Uh, because, but it's just that they're not strikers, and it's nothing against Adam Reach who came on. But again, Reach for DK is not the same level of threat. So I, I think it sent a bad message, and uh, and I, I and I think it invited Cardiff onto us, and I think we did see Cardiff become more ambitious and get more people into the box and in and around the box, which sort of led to the goal. What do you think? Yeah, obviously I don't think it it helped us, but I mean as we we just said it was kind of a enforced on him and if Brandon Thomas Santi wasn't ready to come on at that point then well you can't really bring him on can you because as I said we've only got two senior strikers well I I, I don't know I mean I've seen uh, having worked at the club Pete I've seen managers go against uh, medical staff's advice I mean look the, the medical staff will always advise based upon the player rather than the needs of the team. And I've seen managers in the past who have prioritised the needs of the team over what the medical staff advises the best thing for the player. I suppose what it comes down to in that scenario is, as a, as a manager, do you gamble a little bit? Because because the medical staff are not going to say... Um, if if you're if if you're if DK has to come off after 55, bring him on. But ideally, bring him on for 70. What they are bringing him on at 70. What they are going to say is that the the player himself, we think he has uh, he has a much higher percentage chance of it, further injury if he comes on at this point as opposed to this point. Their focus is always going to be on the player rather than the overall uh, the well being of the player rather than the overall team setup. Yes, I think it's about judging whether it's worth the risk. And I think when we've only got two senior strikers, and I think you struggle to to justify it in a game where we're where we're leading one nil. I think if both strikers, you know, the the more minutes they get in from fifty eight minutes in, you know, the if the chance of injury shooting up with each minute, then um, you're probably best off to to not um, risk them because if one gets injured, then 
and it's a, a long term injury, it's going to keep him out for a couple of games. And you're putting a lot of a lot of responsibility on the other one to be able to stay fit and to lead the line. And yeah, I, I well, it's think... a lot of physical responsibility as as we've seen because apparently we've we've fatigued DK to the point where he can't complete ninety minutes now. Yeah, and it's I think if you did do that, and and one of them had picked up an injury um, from playing a bit longer and playing too much, then it would probably start to have an effect on on the rest of the season for us and and kind of impact our um, playoff hopes. So I think it, you'd struggle to justify the risk to to play them any longer, and you'd hope that the team could, if he knew that he could bring on Thomas Sante for twenty minutes, you'd hope that the team could could at least hold out for for an extra ten fifteen minutes with DK off the pitch until Thomas Sante could come on the pitch and we could have a, a proper striker on the pitch. So um, yeah, I think it, it was. I suppose every decision that Corbyn has to make is a calculated risk, but that one especially, and I don't think it was from what's been said about the two players and how many minutes they could, they were advised to get. I don't think it was a particularly bad decision from Corbyn. If you just look at the the squad that we team that we had on, out on the pitch, then I don't think too many people would argue that it's, it's a better team than Cardiff had out on the pitch, and it's a team that should be able to survive 10, 15 minutes without conceding a goal. Um, so if it, if we had kept a clean sheet there. Thomas Sante come on at 70 minutes still at 1-0 and we'd you know, seen out the game 1-0, then I don't think any questions would really be raised of Corbyn making that decision. I think people would just see it as in protecting protecting his two strikers and making sure we don't suffer any more injuries going into the, the last round of fixtures or the last group of fixtures of the season. Yeah, and I think that's the point, isn't it? That 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 it was it was it wasn't like he did this at half time and we had to see out forty five minutes. He was looking for the players to see out ten fifteen minutes, maybe w- with playing a bit out of position. And the goal, the equaliser, Pete. You you and I just before we came on air, we, we we're both watching it independently of each other, and when we were discussing it, um. Uh, over uh, over zoom and we uh, and we you know we we they're almost trying to work out whose fault it was and i think the conclusion that we've come to is that it's just a litany of errors isn't it it's just it, it it's just a catalog of them it really is if you know from swift doesn't do enough to uh, to to stop the cross but then Dara somehow jumps underneath the ball uh, he completely misjudges where the ball's going to go and then for me as well, I think it's close enough to Griffiths for it. Uh, he gets a hand to it. I think it's close enough to him for him to for him to keep out in it, and it squirms through him. It's it's a really really bad goal to concede. And when you actually look over over the course of the piece, people might say, "Oh, it was coming." It's not what I'm seeing. It's not what I'm seeing at all. Eighty two percent of Cardiff shots were from outside the box, so we clearly enormously restricted them uh, them to shooting from areas which suited us that, that i mean that's not particularly worrying if you've got a team taking 82% of their shots from outside the penalty area the the percentage chances of them scoring is extremely low they had two shots on target in the whole game one of which obviously was the goal so I, uh, to be honest, I think if we'd actually kept our focus and concentration, I don't think there was a, the, there was a situation where Cardiff were particularly likely to break us down through excellent play because they weren't playing particularly well. But unfortunately, we've made three big mistakes on the goal. One is not stopping the cross. Two is Dara jumping underneath the ball. And three for me is Griffiths not being, not having a stronger hand to keep it out. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Swift probably should have got out a little bit quicker. 
put a bit more pressure on the cross and not made it so easy. In fairness to, I'm not sure who put the cross in, but the Cardiff player it was a brilliant cross. Uh, um, Wintle. Wintle, yeah, brilliant cross. Um, and it was almost perfect that it was just out of reach for Dara to head it. It did get stuck under under it a bit, but again, it was a brilliant cross. So got to give can some it, credit can to he the just, Cardiff player. Can he, if he judges that properly, though, can he uh, rather than try to win the header, can he just go and try and disrupt Cabba? Maybe, but I think it, I'm not sure he was close enough to to Cabba for to do it. Um, it was similar in a way to DK's goal that the defender wasn't close enough to him to even put him off. But yeah, and for the Cardiff goal, Griffiths probably should have done better as well. He got quite a strong hand to it, and it seemed to just push past his hand and and. And off the post, wasn't it? So, yeah, there's a couple of mistakes in there. Um, I, I think Swift not getting out to the cross quick enough kind of it kind of highlighted just how the game went. In my opinion, that we did look quite tired um, for most of the game, almost slow. We seemed to be quite lethargic to get forward once we did win the ball. Um, and I don't know if that's just because we've not actually got many quick players on the pitch, or if, if it is genuine tiredness setting in on the players. Um, it's probably where we miss Matt Phillips and Grady Diangana quite a bit as well because they're both quick players and um, especially when you compare them to, to Mark Albrighton who doesn't seem particularly quick. Um, so I think we're lacking a bit of pace and energy to, to get forward quickly once we've won the ball back and everything just seemed very tame against Cardiff. It was, I mean, it was, I don't think anyone would call it an exciting game even for the bit that we were winning. Yeah, it was just tame, tired and just looked like it was lacking energy. Yeah. Tame, tired and tepid, I think, if you want the full full alliteration there, Pete. Um, I mean, the thing that's that's been levelled at Corbran or Corbran's Albion, I think he's deflected it a little bit because he's come out after the game and said that he didn't want us to be as passive as we were at 1-0. But people will and are pointing to the Huddersfield game and saying, well, we kind of we sat on 1-0 there. Okay, we got through it. Uh, For some reason, people are referencing the Wigan game. I don't get that. 17 shots on goal, hit the woodwork four times. I don't see how you can say that was a passive display. I'm I'm not having that. I'm sorry. I I think anybody who says that watched a completely different game of football to me. But the Huddersfield game, I will accept. We were... We, we, we were relatively passive at 1-0. I think we, we trusted our ability to, uh, to, to see out the game at 1-0 and we survived one big opportunity for, for Huddersfield to equalise. Against Cardiff, I think we did the same thing and we didn't survive the one big opportunity for Cardiff to, uh, to equalise. And that for me is the difference. But I suppose my question to you, Pete, is, are we too negative at one nil? Are, are, are we? Do do we do enough to go and get the second goal at the moment? Because that's not. This is not something that we've that we've seen um, from Corbran throughout the course of the piece. Corbran's had five one nil wins as West Bromwich Albion manager. Two of them came in his first three games. So he was really having to grind out results at that point because we hadn't won in so long. The team lacked so much confidence that it was just a matter of proper backs the wall job and get, uh, and get wins. Two of them have come in the last three games. So basically you bookend Corbran's, uh, Corbran's period as Albion manager, which, uh, which runs to um, uh, 21 games, 23, if you include cup. Um, 24, actually, I should say. So you've bookended them. You've got two in the first three games, two in the last three games, and then the only one in the middle. 
has been Coventry. So we haven't played for a one nil really since the early days of, of Corbrand's reign, where I would openly admit Blackpool and QPR, we set out to get the one nil win. But recently, as I say, I don't agree that that was the case against Wigan. I think we did try and see it out against Coventry. And I can understand why with Button in goal, because uh, because you just need to give him that much protection. But I did, against Huddersfield, I didn't think we needed to be quite as lacking in ambition to get the second goal as we did. We got the result. Fair enough. You move on. But then we deployed very much similar a similar approach at 1-0 against Cardiff to that which we deployed against Huddersfield and unfortunately it's bitterness on the backside and I do think there's an element of inevitability about that happening that unless you carry Megson's Albion the chances of you actually being able to grind out 1-0s week in week out without any mistakes so that you so so that you are just flawless defensively and and you get these results i think the likelihood of that is is limited i think i think there has to be an element particularly with the attacking weapons that we have where you put these teams to bed because we i mean we 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 killed middlesbrough's momentum and belief in that game by it being 2-0 and by by not really giving them much of a chance then and uh, until the very last minute and I think I, I think looking at Middlesbrough the way they played sort of like last 20 minutes I'm not sure there was any real belief in that team that they were going to get back into the game but whilst it's 1-0 you are always always giving teams belief and the same was true of Blackburn as well of course and we got bitten there so yeah, uh, my point is, I think this is a new trend and people are creating this narrative where this has been the way that Albion have played under Corbrandt. It's not true. It's a recent thing. But I do think it's a little bit worrying because Coventry and Huddersfield, we ground out the results. But Blackburn and Cardiff, we dropped two points in games that we should win because we haven't finished the teams off and 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 we maybe tried to see out a game that at 1-0 that we should have been trying to win 2-0 what do you think well i'm not sure we really did enough in the first half before we scored to deserve a goal ourselves um like i say everything just seemed very tired and tame we could be wrong but i'm struggling to think of any chances that we created before dk scored there's the one cross that yeah just went a little bit too high for him wasn't it yeah so i suppose it's that but other than those two, I don't think there was many big chances, if any. Well, you you and I have just watched the highlights on the Albion YouTube account, Pete, and um, I think the fact that they were just under four minutes long, and uh, I think they they were about four five four five clips at most uh, long. There wasn't a lot in there. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if we really deserved the first goal ourselves. Obviously, it was a, a brilliant cross from Jed Wallace. Not Mark Albrighton, who I'd mistaken him for just because he was in that position. Um, and then he, an equally good, maybe probably even better finish from Daryl DK to just calmly side foot it into the, to the bottom corner. Um, so the goal was very good in itself, but apart, that was kind of the only moment that we, we really created a big chance and actually looked threatening. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if we really, I think in a similar way, to Cardiff, I don't know if they really deserved their goal, but I don't know if we really deserved ours. I think a draw was a fair result, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that we just didn't look particularly convincing, even even in the first half. I think that's yeah. What I, what is what is the the core 
of that problem, though, Pete. I mean, for for me, watching the games, and you know, I watch every every, every ninety minutes as, as as you do of uh, of Albion, and 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 like, what what frustrates me is that I see passes on out from the defence. They're not always the easiest pass, but uh, but I mean, I mean, one that I highlighted against Huddersfield. My my dad and I sat in the Birmingham Road end, and we kept saying. Adam Reach is making some great out to in runs here, but whether it, whether it was Malumbi or Yukoslu or whether it was one of the centre halves or whether it was one of the fullbacks, they ignore that pass so often to go back sideways and sideways, and they leave it to Swift and Wallace generally to try and play the key passes, which I understand because they are the best passers in the team, but equally sometimes just a driven ball through the midfield can dissect a team. And I never see us do that. Yeah, I thought something that I noticed against Cardiff that was quite interesting is there was one time that Reach played a straight ball into DK, I think. And I think we lost possession from it. And did we pick up a booking from it, maybe? did you, Yeah, I think Yukuzlu ended up having to make a challenge and um, got booked for it. So it was right before that. Townsend was an option to play diagonally into the wing back. Um, and Peters decided to play straight into DK's feet, straight pass, and their defender was aggressive and kind of won the ball back and made it 50-50 and Yukushu got booked from it. Anyway, Corbran, after that, as we're setting up for the free kick, I think Corbran was berating um, Peters, and he was quite clearly saying that he didn't want him to play straight balls into into those areas and that the diagonal was on, and that's what he should be playing, or he should be going sideways around the defence. But he was really animated as... Cobran often is on the on the touchline, um, and yeah, you could see him saying that that's not what he wanted, and he wanted those diagonal balls. So I imagine the reason for players not playing the balls that quite often we can see from the stands and on TV is that they've been instructed by Cobran of the kind of passes that they that he wants them to make from different positions. Um, I think against Cardiff, one that we we really liked was to because they were kind of pressing with two central strikers was to kind of dissect them and just play the pass almost go wide and then come back inside oh that was giving me kittens mate that that one between the two centre forwards from Dara to to, to Yukoslu which they were yeah. playing as a one two mate I, honestly I was having heart palpitations watching that they he was driving me. <laughs> I mean I know he never got it wrong but oh my god that was so stressful to watch mm, but that seemed like it was something that was really worked on because quite often it would be kind of sideways to Peters then back into wait for the strikers to kind of split a little bit to press that and then back into O'Shea, who could then play it between the two strikers that had been split a little bit into into Yukuzlu. Um And yeah, it might have been a little bit scary at times, but I think we got it got it right almost every time. And quite often Yukuzlu would be able to receive up the turn as well and not have any pressure from behind him. So in that respect, it worked quite well, but we just didn't seem to have the, the answer to unlock the next few lines of defence after that, which is where it was frustrating because we could, we could get the ball past their first defensive line in their strikers, but just not really break the rest of the, the lines and, and create chances after it. Is, is Semi potentially a bit more of a solution there? Because I have to say, I know he, I know he got booked and and some of the Cardiff players were calling for him to be sent off um, when he when he drove forward and um, had an absolute sledgehammer of a touch and then went after his own touch. But 
I, I, I noticed that that was something that we did do a little bit more of against Huddersfield is invite Dara and Peters to drive forward into into midfield and, and possibly even beyond. Peters had one shot against Huddersfield that was well saved by the keeper. Is that potentially a solution that you think Corbran might be looking at to try and get his centre-halves a bit more involved in the in the attack by, by ball carrying forward? It might be. Um as I've said many times, we we tend to struggle moving the ball forwards with passes through central areas just because we don't have the the right kind of midfield central midfielder to to do that. So I think he's he's worked to create other options to move the ball forward, and quite often it is just kind of moving it out, moving it forward in wide areas, um, finding that by the time we've moved it forward, the defence has shuffled across, and then going back and trying the other wing, um, which can be quite frustrating to watch as a fan because it's you kind of passing a lot, keeping the ball well and, and not really going anywhere, just going from one wing to the other without really penetrating the defence much. So, yeah, I'm sure he's he's thinking of ways to to get the ball forwards and it may be a case of using the, the centre-backs, especially if he wants to continue to use three at the back, um, then it, I imagine Ajay would be very useful for that. What did you make of the change of shape? Did you did you think it did you think it worked? I have to say, I mean, it was interesting Albrighton's position because he wasn't really playing as a wing back because that would suggest he went back at all. He was extremely high up the pitch. I was disappointed by how little he was involved in the game. My biggest problem with the shape is. Again, it's the same problem that I have with Albrighton playing generally. It's what it does to Jed Wallace, but also what it does to John Swift. I don't think John Swift in that formation has the the usual level of freedom that that, that he that he normally has on, uh, and therefore can get around the pitch and influence games. And I thought that was probably the least influential performance that we've seen from John Swift in recent weeks, who has undoubtedly for for me been our best player for weeks. And I just don't really understand putting together a shape that mitigates two of your best players and doesn't allow them to play to their best attributes. John Swift's best attributes are certainly having the total and utter freedom to go and get the ball wherever he needs to and just influence the game, almost quarterback the thing. And Jed Wallace's best attributes of being out on that right-hand side, as we saw for the goal, because as you say, it's, I mean, it's a brilliant finish by DK, but it is a quite superb ball in by Jed Wallace. And that comes from him being out on that right touchline. But I, I get I get frustrated a little bit at the moment when I, I think everything, every, look, everything we do for me in an offensive sense centers around Swift and Wallace and then DK is just in brilliant brilliant goal scoring form up front and he is he's everything in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net but Swift and Wallace make things happen for DK and DK at the moment is finishing beautifully as and that was a tremendous finish for the goal against Cardiff I don't understand doing anything having any tactics at the moment that aren't completely targeted toward getting the best out of those three players that's just that's just where i stand uh, at the at the minute yeah it did feel like uh, the shape was kind of a way to get Albrighton playing again um Corbin seems to want to have him in the starting 11 yeah it's, i think he's finding it difficult to to strike the balance of having Albrighton in the starting 11 whilst getting players like Wallace and Swift in, in the positions that they're most threatening in the shape was as it tends to be when we're defending it drops into a 442 a lot of the time that's the same as it has been 
recent weeks when we've been playing a more of a four two three one when we got the ball and that drops into the the four four two again with generally Swift as the ten making up the the first line of the defense with Daryl DK. Um, that was the same for that. It's just that kind of everyone on the everyone on the left side was kind of just dropping into a position. So Townsend would kind of drop into the left back, and you'd have a back four then with a giant right back when we're defending, and Albright would be the right winger. So it, I mean, the shape definitely changes from when we've got the ball to when we haven't got the ball. But as you say, Albrighton didn't have too much impact on kind of the early stages of build-up. And if you compare it to kind of Townsend, who did most of his stuff kind of um, in our own half and around the in the middle middle third of the pitch, whereas Albrighton was more involved higher up the pitch and just trying to, I think we we're trying to use him to, to get balls into the box for DK, which is probably well, his best strength. Odd, oddly as well, with Townsend as a, as a wing-back, I felt he actually got, into the box a bit less. Um, I, I don't know whether it's because he hasn't got that obvious link up down that side, but he got. He, I felt he he, he got down uh, down the line a lot less, and he and he and he wasn't arriving at the back post as much as he normally does either. No, I, I tend to agree with that. Which I don't know if he was just maybe asked to asked to form more of the of the rest defence to protect against counter attacks and and not get get himself forward so much. I don't think I was a great fan of the of the three at the back. I think I prefer the formation that we tend to use and the, the players that we tend to use in that formation as well. Um, it's just obviously very difficult at the minute now that both Phillips and Diangana are out injured to to find the balance in the four two three one that we have been using. Well, I didn't think Reach had a bad game against Huddersfield. I really didn't. No, I don't think he had a bad game, but I don't think he had a. I don't think he was as good as. Oh, he's not comparable to Grady or Phillips. No, I yeah. I 100% agree with that. And I'm not I'm not I'm not banging the fanboy drum for for Reach because that's not what I'm doing here, but uh, but all I'm saying is without Grady and Phillips out of all the solutions that I've seen to that problem, I think he's been the most effective. Yeah, I thought he had a a decent game. Um and it's it does provide a bit of balance out there. Again, we just we seem to have struggled with injuries this season that we've just had injuries to to key players, I don't think we've had an overwhelming number of injuries compared to everyone else. It just seems to be really important players that are getting injured, and especially with with Phillips being out, Tiangana was probably one of the last players we needed to get injured, which is well, yeah, and obviously. losing Grant at the same time as well, Pete, because this doesn't really get a mention, but it, it's, it's especially especially. I mean, you look at all the you look at all the problems that we had uh, at the point at which DK got fatigued. And also, if you'd brought Grant on, then at least that would have been an out-and-out nine if he'd been available. Obviously, I realise he wasn't available, but if he'd been available, you could have brought Grant on. He's an out-and-out nine in that in that position, and he can hold the fort, or well, at least he can play the out-and-out nine to a certain degree. Not particularly well, but he can at least do that. And then... If we have gone to 1-1, you can switch Grant over to the left-hand side, which is his best position. But I think having having lost Grant as well, I never thought... I, 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 as anybody who regularly listens to this podcast knows, I am not an enormous fan of Carl and Grant. He frustrates the heck out of me. But I can't help but admit that at the moment he would be a really, really useful player to have available, at least from the bench given the, the the area of the pitch that we have so many injuries concentrated in. Absolutely. I imagine if he had been fit in recent weeks, then he'd be getting quite a, quite a lot of minutes because he may have been coming on for DK um, to give him a bit more of a rest in previous games. And I, I don't think it'd be too bad an option to have as 
a nine with the way that we're playing because DK doesn't get involved too much in build up apart from well yeah it doesn't get too involved too much in build up most of his impact is actually finding space in the box to get get shots off and be on the end of the chances that we're creating so which is probably one of Grant's strengths to find space in the box and get shots off so as a straight DK replacement in the way that we're playing I don't think he would be too bad of a fit and I imagine he'd have also got minutes out on the left because we've yeah we've not got too many options to fill that position and it is probably Grant's natural position albeit we've we've mentioned that we seem to look better with a left footer out there someone that can can kind of play on the on the sideline which Grant obviously doesn't do but if needs must then I'm sure Corbran would adapt the way that we play to kind of um, compensate for for the movements that Grant does like to make when he is out on the left so it would would have just been another option. I mean Um, tying the two conversations together Pete is it almost flying under the radar that when people are saying oh, we've been too negative in the Huddersfield and uh, and Cardiff games, that they're, they're, they're almost ignoring the wealth of attacking options that we've been denied in those games, i.e. Phillips, Dean Garner, Grant, and to a large part, Brandon Thomas-Asante as well. Yeah, I, I was meant to make that point earlier, is that last couple of games we've not really looked too threatening, and you've mentioned that we've not been able to, to kind of kill games off, and we've only had that the 1-0 leads. But it also seems to have coincided with the fact that we haven't had two strikers because previously the vast majority of games with striker that had been starting for us would come off after 60 or 65 minutes and then we'd have a, a fresh striker to go on. But against Huddersfield, Wigan, Cardiff, to some extent, we've not been able to make the change that we usually would and haven't had two fit strikers to kind of um, to fill the position and, and rotate in and out. Obviously, the form as it stands, uh, away from home, um, is overall in Corbrand's reign, um, played 10, won four, drawn one, lost five, which comes out at a point a game. And people do like to say, win your home games, uh, draw your away games and you'll get automatic promotion. And we, we, to be honest, I remember having, having a conversation, um, I think it was, uh, with, uh, with all Albion fans, um, uh, Back before the Blackpool game, I remember sitting in the car actually tweeting him, and uh, and um, and we were and we were saying that the, the level of form Albion would need to make the playoffs, and I sort of my argument against why we would make the playoffs is that we needed automatic promotion form to just make the top six, and I think that's still going to be true. Uh, that we've had automatic promotion form, which is why we are where we are, why we're in touching distance of the top six. But that's largely down to the home form. Played eleven, won nine, drew one, lost one under Corbran. So that's that's that what the twenty-one league games under Corbran looks like. Pete, the the away form is not horrendous in terms of the overall picture under Corbran. Obviously, it is over the the last four games you know that's that that is that's not what that, that's not what you want to see um of those five defeats four of them have uh, um four of them have come fairly fairly recently um Watford Burnley Birmingham and Hull but it does seem to pile quite a lot of pressure on the home form and obviously Millwall to come to the Hawthorns next which is going to be absolutely massive they do play again before we play so while they're five points clear of us now they play Huddersfield at home on Saturday you would expect them to be a minimum of six probably eight clear of us so 
it is going to it is going to look like a bit of an uphill task to be honest um just because we don't play this weekend but it is piling quite a lot of pressure on the home form the current away form isn't it absolutely and yeah i think it's an important point that you made so that it is going to look maybe like a bit of an uphill battle come the, the end of the the coming weekend um just because we haven't played and a lot of teams around us will have picked up points and we'll look further away from the playoffs than we do now i imagine which is, probably... is it important that people take a snapshot of what the league looks like now because this is the real picture as opposed to reacting what the, to what the table looks like at the end of this coming weekend yeah exactly and well, we're in eighth now five points off five points off of millwall with a goal difference that is one less than theirs. So, yeah, we're five points. We're five. Yeah, five points off Melbourne, really, because if we make up those five points, then we'll have a better goal difference than them. So, we're, yeah, we're not far away. We'll probably look further away come uh, Monday, but we'll have that game in hand. I, whether that has an impact on, on the players mentally, because they may feel like they're, they're chasing a bit more, could have a good impact, could have a bad impact. You don't know. Might not even affect them at all. So I'm not really saying much there, but yeah, it's important to realise where we are now, now that everyone's played the same amount of games. Well, it's pos- impossible to know how players are going to react to any particular situation, Pete. The, the one the one thing that y- you would say, generally speaking, in is that when it comes to the back end of the season, it tends to be the teams that are chasing that that, that seem to garner a bit better form than those that, that have what have it already in their hands and therefore have it all to lose to a certain degree. Yeah, and everyone always says that the team that does best in the playoffs is the team that puts in that good run of form towards the end of the season and goes into the playoffs on a high. So, well, if we are to make the playoffs, then that is what we'll have to do. So it could end up benefiting us at the end of the season if we do put together that, that run of form. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those where if we get playoffs and it'll be brilliant, but as I've said previously, I'm, I'm happy with how far we've come the past three or four months. Absolutely. Plenty to be positive about, even though after a draw against Cardiff, it inevitably doesn't feel that way. But I think uh, I think Pete, uh, with the positive mental attitude there, is the perfect place uh, to end this. Obviously, Albion have a little bit of a break in fixtures now, which means we will have a little bit of a break in, in podcasts. We don't play again until we play Millwall after the international break. So we will be back to react to that game after that match and then um, we will be ready to bring you all our reaction and thoughts to what undoubtedly will be an absolutely breathless run-in. But until the Millwall game, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.